to the Wisdom Toolbox podcast, previously known as the Heartspace podcast. My name is Nicola and I'm thrilled to have you here. I recently decided to rebrand and refresh the podcast to align it more to the offerings on our website, thewisdomtoolbox.com. So do check that out if you enjoy the topics in this podcast and subscribe to the podcast and our email list for more offerings and tools as they are released. But for now, enjoy. Welcome to the Heart Space Podcast. My name is Nicola, and if you've been following along for some time, you may have noticed that I've really been focusing in on the topic of the five elements. So when we look at nature, when we look at our spiritual practice, the elements come up everywhere and in all different spiritual traditions, and there is just so much available about the elements and from very obvious outer expressions to these very subtle inner spiritual aspects. So I've been uploading a series of live talks that I've been giving to a group that practices the Medicine Buddha practice at the Kagyu Samizong in Cape Town. But these talks are available to anyone to listen to and enjoy. I don't think you need to have too much in-depth knowledge of the Buddha's practices in order to follow along. But if that's not true, please drop me a line and I can then put the content forward in a, in a simpler way. In today's episode, this is part three of the talk, we're going to be looking at how the elements express themselves in a very, very subtle way. So through our emotions and through the wisdom qualities that we hope to achieve during our spiritual journey. I hope you enjoy and sending you lots of love wherever you may be. Bye. Two. So what we've been doing over the past few weeks is basically going on a journey together. We've been looking at um, how the elements what are the elements firstly what are the five elements and how did the elements fit into our practice that we do how do they fit into the world that we see around us and also within ourselves how do we relate to to um these things called the five elements and then of course as lindy says we we're all here today doing this practice medicine buddha practice and how do the elements actually come from these practices that we do and, and how do we relate to them. So just to start with um, with with that medicine Buddha, um, as Lindy says, is when we, we're doing the practice, we are asking for healing, not just for ourselves, but for all beings of body, speech and mind. It's not just necessarily a physical healing, but it's of all those three levels or aspects of of each of us. And we'll talk a bit more today about those three levels again of body, speech and mind, or we can also call them external, how things manifest externally around us and physically, internally, the energies that are within us, and then very, very subtly, which is not a con it's it's less conceptual. It's something we can't really um, understand in ordinary in our ordinary lives is the third level, which is sometimes called the secret level. And it's called secret because, not because it's a secret, but it's because it's harder for us to see it. 
So if we're understanding the three levels, we look at the, the great example is water. Um, we look at water, we can see it in its form. We can all relate to water in its form, liquid or, or solid, um, ice. We also can see it in its process of energy when it's changing and transforming and perhaps coming up as boiled and it becomes steam. But then water actually eventually becomes vapor and it becomes so invisible. Right now, as we're sitting in this room, there are tiny water particles in the air that we're breathing, but we can't actually see it or relate to it in any way. We trust scientists that tell us that the water's there, but we actually have no way, no direct way of knowing that um, the water vapors in the air. So this is exactly what we are talking about when we talk about the three levels. Body is something we can relate to, speech um, and our actions and choices, something we can relate to. But the mind, when we talk about mind, it's not something we can necessarily completely understand because often the teachers ask us in these texts, where is your mind? You know, where is your mind? Is it in your body? If so, where in your body? Is it your brain? But then if it's just your brain, what happens when you, you know, unconscious? Do you cease to have a mind? Um, th there's a lot of interesting questions. And when we really sit and try and contemplate our minds or even where thought comes from, where, do, where does a thought come from? And where does it go after it's passed through your, your consciousness? It's, it's a mystery. We can't we actually can't, we can't find it anyway. Um, it seems like it's, there's nothing there. And that's, this is this great paradox, is this concept of nothingness, or sometimes they call that in, in the, the teachings emptiness, which doesn't mean in a nihilistic sense that there's nothing. Um, it just means that it's not what we see it as. Things are not as solid um, and separate <coughs> and self-existing as we believe them to be. Everything is... Um, effectively one, but even the word one implies something. It's, it's all connection, but it's, it's this open, open connection. But at the same time, we can say that, and, and in the teachings we learn that, but we also live in a, in a world where it's the complete opposite to that, where what we see and perceive is complete separateness, and we can quite literally feel it, and it's very difficult for me to say, you and I exactly the same. We, you know, it's, it's a strange concept for us to grasp. And this is why the teachings are so valuable because they teach us on all three of these levels how to work with the energy on that level and how to apply it to ourselves so that we can, we can transform because we are everything. We are, we are the form, we are the energy, but we are also that very, very subtle, subtle state of being that is essentially just a display, what we call a display of enlightened or awakened qualities. And those are what we call the five wisdoms. So we're going to talk about that today. But just to recap um, for the past few weeks, so we've really been talking about the theory so far. We've just been sharing the theory about what the five elements are. Um, these, the topics we've covered, as I said, this concept of emptiness, and how emptiness has this quality of awareness in it. It's got a built-in awareness. Um, so it's not just empty. If you look at outer space, um, you would say outer space is just empty. But the emptiness we're talking about is emptiness that is infused. It's, it's um, infused with a quality of awareness. And that awareness is 
in each of us, it's the ability to be aware, but we can quite easily see this as when we start to become aware of our thoughts and actions through practices such as mindfulness and meditation, we can hear, for instance, that voice in our head that's, that's talking, but who is it that's listening? It's that background awareness that who it is that we are. <laughs> the, um, the voice that is speaking is just all the filters and um, perceptions and attachments that we've got. It's the background awareness that we're speaking about. There's this spaciousness with this built-in awareness that's always there. We then looked at how energy works in general. Because the elements are come to us in these different forms, as I said, in form, in energy, and in this very subtle way, um, we need to understand the laws of how energy works. Because um, energy works in creation from everything comes from a subtle state. We can't see it, we can't grasp it, and manifests into physical in some way. And upon dissolution, it moves from a physical state back to nothing. And we can look at that in our own lives. We came from somewhere, we were born, and we live our life, and then eventually we will die and dissolve and decay and go back to something, something very subtle that we, we can't connect to in this, in this form. So that law of birth, death, and then rebirth is like this continual pattern. It's, it's this continual theme that, that we live with in every aspect of our life. And when we can learn about, when we can think about the elements in our lives in that way, it really, it really, really helps us. And the reason for that is because as it currently stands, we have manifested things in our life. We've brought things into form. And that, that means this incarnation has been brought into form that we're in now. Um, and even the situation in, in our in individual lives, we have manifested and created. And if we want to get back to our true nature, which is where I think we discussed previously about the templates, where we've created these energetic templates for ourselves based on our karma, what we've come in with. Um, and if we look at the example of a school teacher with an overhead projector, puts a template down on the overhead projector and everything, if we've got the template running in us for jealousy, everything in our life is coming from that subtle state into the physical. And that's why we keep manifesting the same situations in our life over and over and over again, because we've got the very subtle imprints for jealousy, for attachment, for pride, whatever those um, poisons are that, that we have. So what we're really wanting to do in all of these practices is we're trying to get back to the source of those patterns, um, which are very, very subtle and they secret to us and we want to dissolve them. And when we can do that, our energy can then flow much clearer without all these obscurations and impurities. And we can then manifest again, but as pure beings. And that is what a Buddha or an awakened being is. It's somebody or a being that is free of obscurations and can quite literally just manifest completely pure um, forms and, and energies. So ultimately, that's what we are trying to do in 
Vajrayana Buddhism or in all Buddhist practice, in all spiritual teachings, in fact, but in these practices in particular, we are trying to get back to that source, clean it up and try again. And we keep doing this. And the more and more and more we do it, eventually it will finally work and all of us will be, be aware that we are ready. This is the key thing. We are already those that perfect pristine energy that flow that is flowing. We are the light of the overhead projector. We are we are those awakened qualities. It's just that we've covered them up with all these lifetimes of stuff that we have accumulated. So if we even look at the the medicine Buddha practice we've just done, the key thing we are asking for in the practice, it says salutation and requesting of empowerment trans- and transmission and to remove all impurities so that we can realize the five wisdoms of the five Buddha families. So whenever we see in teachings this reference to five, let that be a, a little light bulb go off to say five elements. This is what we've been been discussing. So ultimately, we are wanting to clear what is called the poisons so that we can let the five wisdoms, which are the five elements, shine fully without any hindrance. And we'll we'll talk, we're going to talk, that's what we're going to talk about today. But what we did last time is we said, because the elements manifest in these different levels. So in the very subtle level, you can say because energy creates from subtle to gross, in the very subtle level, the energy manifests first as the five wisdoms, which we cover up then as five poisons or the disturbing emotions. On the second level, so so that's the subtle level. On the next level, which is called the inner or internal level, also can be called speech, we have the energies manifesting within our bodies, um, within our physical body, but also within our astral body. So for instance, in our sleep state, um, we have certain dreams. We've got, if anybody's worked with things like archetypes, for instance, that's sitting in the realm of our energetic bodies. It's, it's energy patterns that we create in our life. And they're also energy patterns that we hold in our body. And what we discussed last time is that's why we've got um, this concept of the chakras, which are energy centers in the body that hold certain themes. It's like symbolism. And when we are able to work with the energy at that level, we can start to understand the patterns and to sort of unlock it so that the energy can flow in our physical bodies um, more freely. So there is definitely this, it's the bridge. The energy is the bridge between the subtle and the gross. It's like the connection between heaven and earth. It's the state of being that's somewhere in between, but it holds a lot of, a lot of power and potential for us. And actually all these Vajrayana practices, we are working at that level. We are using visualization. So what we did in the practice this morning, you visualizing, you know, um, palaces and and Buddhas, and you're seeing you'll yourself. The, you'll do the visualization, a short visualization after this. Yeah, that's wonderful. So we are actually using the power of the imagination, um, like we would in a dream state, to create an entire world. Um, and again, what are we doing? We are creating birth. We are then experiencing it. And then we go through the dissolution process at the end, where we dissolve it all back into nothing. 
And the text itself even says that. We, the beginning of the, the visualization starts with, all is void, everything is empty. And then we create, and then we dissolve. So we constantly playing with this theme of birth, death, and then rebirth. So um, it's just so inherent in, in the practice. So that would be that the, the middle level um, of energy. And then we also have the level of form and the elements in that level um, actually physically manifest in our bodies and in the environment around us. So we all can relate to the earth element, fire element, water, air, and space, which is the space that everything is contained. So when we look at the outer elements, it's not just the outer elements in, in the, the world around us, but it's also the elements as they've manifested in form within our within our bodies themselves. And that's why, um, like in this, oh, this is the most wonderful book, Heart Treasure of the Enlightened Ones. And he explains it so nicely with the, um, with the wisdoms. I'll talk about that today. But he says the, the speech, the, the, on the three levels, our speech and our body is the slave of the mind. Because if you have the template in place, going back for, for um, anger, your speech and your body is going to manifest anger. So when we are, when we are asking for healing, um, we are actually needing to really get back to that level of dissolving that template because that is how true healing arises. But when we are looking at form, we can still work at all three levels. And I think it's helpful for us. Um, well, certainly I don't want to take any chances. I want to try and work on all three levels and actually then work with the physical form as well. Work as much as you can with the elements in nature, with the physical form of the body. And last week we discussed how we do that work through this act of balancing. It's a constant process of becoming aware of how the elements are manifesting in our lives and then attempting to bring that back into balance and, and harmony. So it's, this is how we work with the elements. It's about saying, um, in a, just a quick summary, if we're looking at the, at the um, physical body, if you're very lethargic, you perhaps have too much of the earth element, you need to lighten up. So you need to maybe add some, maybe you need to add a bit of water, or you need to add a bit of fire to, so you can work with these things in this physical way, but also using that symbolism of that, that speech body, the, the symbolic sense to create this, this dance for yourself and this balancing act. So that's what we've been discussing. That's like called like a bottom up, well, I call that a bottom up approach. But today we're now going to get really to those five wisdoms, which is more of the top down approach. So we can understand how we can start to clear up those patterns and then manifest in a more pure way. So I'm going to just read you um, from this book, how he talks about how does samsara come about? Now, for those who don't know, samsara, the word samsara means suffering. It's, it's, it's the constant cycle of birth and, re, uh, uh, birth and death and rebirth that ordinary beings are stuck in. It's these cycles of constantly, you know, being born, basically getting it all wrong, 
and then just having to come back and back and back again. And, you know, you just, we can see suffering and samsaric existence all around us. And the, the opposite to samsara, samsara is nirvana. Um, but just a quick side note, when we really get deep into the teachings, both samsara and nirvana are still, are still um, illusory. In other words, you can have you can have things that um, so suffering is illusion, but it's an impure illusion. Nirvana is also illusion, but it's more of a pure illusion. But ultimately, a, a, an awakened being, a Buddha, has actually transcended both nirvana and samsara. They are beyond that. It's it's going beyond all concepts altogether. So there's no such thing as nirvana or samsara. So often, I think when we start our our journeys, you know, we have this aspiration of, I want to get to nirvana, I want to get to, that's what enlightenment is getting to nirvana, it's actually getting beyond the concepts of samsara and nirvana. So he says here, how does samsara come about? As we perceive everything around us with our five senses, all sorts of feelings of attraction and repugnance arise in our minds, and it is from these feelings that samsara arises. The simple perception of things in itself is not what causes us to wonder in samsara. It is rather our reaction to these perceptions and then the interpretations we place on them that keep the wheel of samsara turning. So a good way to think of this is if you imagine a beautiful tree that you feel very connected to and you walk out of here today and you see that beautiful tree, um, being cut down for a housing development. Okay, now I know myself personally, I would have a huge reaction to that. Mm. So it's so what 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 this text is saying is it's not just the act of seeing the tree being cut down in itself, there's that's not suffering. It's just we, we can perceive things in a new, completely neutral way. It's then our feeling that arises from seeing that thing happen. And then our reaction to it, which keeps us stuck again. So you might see that thing happen and you might go, oh, I can't believe they're doing this. This makes me so angry. Who do they think they are? This is so sad. Um, you know, all the stuff that starts running and we might think about it for days on end. And that's just a really small example. This is what we do in every single thing in our lives of, of all day, of all day. So he, he gives this example here of of anger. So anger is one of the five, what they call the five poisons. And he says, when you feel hatred or anger towards someone, your hatred and anger are not in any way something inherent either to that person as a whole or to any aspect in him. Your anger only exists in your own mind. As soon as you glimpse him, your thoughts start to dwell on all the time he brought you harm in the past how he might harm you in the future or what he's doing to harm you right now. Sometimes even hearing his or her name upsets you. As you become fixated on these thoughts, full-blown hatred develops. And at that point, you feel an irresistible urge to pick up a stone and throw it at him. You may even think I'd really like to kill him. So anger may seem extremely strong, but if it's not in the object, if it's not in that person itself, then where does it come from? And he says, it almost seems to be, and this is with all of our emotions, not just anger, that there's some external force. 
But there's no external force, he says, with arms and legs and weapons and, and armor that's come in and taken over us and causes us to, to act in this way. And he says, look within yourself. Where can you find the source of this, this emotion within you? Is it in your brain, in your hearts, in your bone, you know, or in any part of you? When we really sit and contemplate this, and, and you do this in meditation, it really is impossible to find the source of where these emotions arise. But he says, however, even though it's impossible to locate, anger does seem to be present in a very concrete way, a strong clinging that freezes your mind into a state of solidity and brings a great deal of suffering both to yourself and others. Just as clouds, this is like his key thing, and it's so beautifully written, just as clouds that are too insubstantial to support your weight or to be worn as clothing can nevertheless darken the whole sky and cover the sun, so in the same way, thoughts can obscure the pristine radiance of awareness. And then by recognizing the void, transparent and open nature of our mind, we can let it return to its natural state of freedom, free of all those voices, judgments, perceptions, and feelings. If you recognize the nature of any emotion as void, it loses its power to harm and becomes, in this case with anger, it will clear and in its place shines through the wisdom that sits behind anger of what's called mirror-like wisdom. So, he says people usually think of overpowering the and i wanted to read this sentence just because of of especially with COVID and a lot of the things going on in the world um we usually think of overpowering and the destruction of an adversary as a positive accomplishment but it's unquestionably not the viewpoint of buddhist teachings rather when anger erupts we do not pursue it but we look at the nature of the anger itself so this is how we become enslaved. We, we see even what we think is a positive, you know, positive, let's, let's be angry with, with the virus that's killing and harming so many people. In fact, look at the nature of that anger itself and recognize that everything is just coming from this, this, this emptiness and voidness. And therein lies the mirror-like wisdom. And we'll, I'll talk now a little bit about what those five wisdoms are. So, so can I say sure. That mirror-like wisdom in the water that you've been referring to is in the line of Akshatya, which in the line of the of the of the, one of the five Dhyani Buddhas is the Medicine Buddha practice. So you'll find one of the five top Buddhas. One is called Akshatya, and in that lineage of expression is what you've been referring to is our Medicine Buddha practice. So yeah. And there lies the water element, and there lies aggression, and there lies uh, the, the colours, and uh, very interesting. Yeah, and when we actually start with working with the, the, the poisons to dissolve them, they always start with water, and um, which, I mean, in itself, we can, you know, water is purifying, and um, this is why we start with um, this dissolving, purifying process. And that's exactly the reason for the Medicine Buddha practice being within the water element is that we are asking to be purified. We are asking for the obscurations to be cleansed and removed from us so that we can go forth from there. 
So this is exactly why we, this is why medicine Buddha is such a great practice to start with, because it is asking for that healing of body, speech, and mind um, within that whole mandala of, um, of the five wisdoms. So I'm going to show you a picture. It, I mean, it, I do see that you've done today as well. That's, that's, a, that's a really, really wonderful um, spring water element in, with all the prayers and the growing and the, and the intent that was growing in Tibet around the migraine climate where the, where the, where the um, medicine was grown. Prayers said over it at various stages of the seasons, picked up the right season, crushed at the right season with prayers over the right season, taken over to the celebration in the year 2000 to Akhon when he was erecting or celebrating his stupa, his peace stupa. So there's a lot of a lot of energy in what you have just allowed yourself to swallow. <laughs> and it's the perfect example of the the form, energy, and then the wisdom in that. So it's something that's physically embodied. We can see it. There's the energy of the prayer, and and then there's the transformation that happens um, through that. So it's it's a nice example. Um, so. <coughs> Okay, before I show you that, actually, so when we're talking about the um, the, the mind poisons that cover up the, the five wisdoms, um, although there are five, there's actually, they say the easy way to remember it is in three main categories. And the three categories are, we either say we ha have an aversion to something. So we either say in simplistic terms, I don't like that. Or we have an attachment to something and we say, I want that, or we say, I don't want to know. <laughs> and if those are three, it's like quite a simple little tool to actually ask yourself, what am I doing in the situation? Am I having an aversion, an attachment, or just being completely ignorant and <laughs> I don't want to actually know the truth of the situation? And those from there, we have the five mind poisons. So the five are anger or hatred which can encompass everything in that this is just a, like you know the five elements are categories um and so these five poisons are categories so there's they say there's actually 84,000 disturbing emotions that would all fit into these <laughs> different categories so um so anger is the, the one we start with anger aversion hatred violence etc and that um is the water element as we've been discussing and the wisdom is mirror-like wisdom. Well, we'll talk a little more about what that means. The next is pride. Pride, um, I think we all understand pride, believing that you're better than somebody else or that what you have is more important. And um, that is the earth energy. And the wisdom is called equalizing wisdom or sameness. The third is desire or attachment craving. This is a big one for humans in particular. We are actually in a desire realm in this human form. And the um, it's the fire element. And the enlightened wisdom quality of that is the, it's called the all discriminating or all discern, all discerning. Um, some, some teachers say they prefer the word even investigative because dis discrimination might have a negative connotation for us but it's 
It's about being able to see all the detail, all the finer detail in things. Um, and then the fourth category of poisons are, are jealousy. And jealousy is an interesting one because it's not just being jealous of what somebody else has. It's also believing that what you have, it's, it's like believing what you have is perhaps better or more advanced than what other people have. So it's this constant comparison between self and other. And that is also what well, that is the air element. And the wisdom is the all accomplishing wisdom. Is that, can that also be where, where you find a, a lot of people have this belief of I'm owed? Where does that sit? I'm owed. Does that you know you you know that sense of entitlement? Entitlement. Yeah, that's the yeah. right one. Yeah. Where they do say that yes. like a lack of self-esteem. So yes. in other words, in expressing like that would be the air element. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, and then the last one is that delusion or ignorance, um, delusion, confusion, ignorance, um, which is the space element and. The wisdom there is it's absolute wisdom. So once you've got rid of all confusion and delusion, you, you have absolute wisdom. So um, that this one is, I think, out of the wisdoms, obviously the hardest one for us to, uh, the poisons, the hardest one for us to know that we have is actually ignorance because you don't know how much you don't know. Um, and I also think perhaps the other one that also can be slightly hard is pride because with the others, with attachment, jealousy, um, anger, you typically in life, I think you rub people up and, and you have a reaction and it creates havoc, enough havoc in your life for you to start to recognize that these emotions are, must be coming from somewhere and we can look at ourselves. But with ignorance, it might not rub other people up the wrong way. We might not get much feedback that we are ignorant. Um, and the same with pride, because it's something that's so deep and in, in like within ourselves that it can be hard for us to actually recognize that we are proud um, or ignorant. So um, that righteousness is a sort of prideful thing, isn't it? Yeah. You say. Yeah, that, it is. That righteousness. I, I hear a lot of righteousness going on around this COVID time. You know, this is the right way of being and acting and right. Mm -hmm. Right. Remember when we were in hard lockdown, the, the nonsense that happened under righteousness. Yeah. Exactly. So, and this is why with, um, with, with the wisdoms as we, as we go through it, I mean, it's, I think the one point just to make, because I have actually heard some people discussing it like this in the past and not, not teachers, but just like generally, but we're not trying to create wisdom. We're not trying to go out and trying to pretend that we've got wisdoms and like, um, take it on and say, okay, I'm going to walk out of here today and I'm going to have um, mirror-like wisdom. Because <laughs> then we're actually creating something that's a delusion. We're creating something that's untrue. So all we're trying to do is just peeling away and dissolving these disturbing emotions within us. So, and, you know, it's at least in a way then easier for us humans to work with that because we can every day when emotions arise for us, it's a sign for us to to show us that there's something there to be completely dissolved and to move past. So when we go through the the wisdoms, we follow this order. It always goes, as I said, from the water to the earth, the fire, the air, and then the space. And the, the other 
name for the five wisdoms is the five Buddha families. Um, because at their very subtle level, so when we're talking about those three levels, external, internal, and, and secret, um, the, the elements actually just display as what they say, five colored lights. But the light is not light that we would be able to see. It's a subtle, it's a subtle light. It's a quality of light. And the, the analogy they use is a crystal. The crystal that's held in, in, in say, in the sun has these different facets that just um, has these lights. So there's not like a, a physical light. It's, it's like this inner subtle light that arises. And because it's hard for us to understand what's being taught and what's being meant, um, the teachings say each of those five qualities or attributes are part of a Buddha family. And they give that Buddha family, there's, there's a name for it, there's a Buddha that's um, oversees the Buddha family, there's other Buddhas and practices that fall into that Buddha family. It seems a very mystical thing, but it's, it's a way for us to be able to relate to something that is very, very hard for us to um, connect to. So if you hear about the five Buddha families, it's basically the five wisdoms in their grouping so that we can relate and, and learn from, from that. And they say each of us actually karmically have a connection to one of those five families. Um, and very often that's because that's the challenge we have to deal with the most, the most in this life. So you might resonate the most with, you know, for instance, um, the mirror-like wisdom, because you and you, you you're a person that has dealt with a lot of anger and violence and hatred within your life. So it is interesting to turn it back to ourselves and to think about how what we manifesting and where maybe the biggest opportunity for us to work is. So, Sorry. Mm. can you talk a little bit more about the resonance of color? Sure. So, so although it's not a um, physical color. The, the quality of the light. So when the energy is manifesting either as form, energy, the subtle level they say is, is light. And um, just like in the crystal, the light has different vibration, light has different vibrations, different aspects and vibrations. So as the energy goes through like the, the prism of, of each of each being, um, it displays like a rainbow would with these different qualities. So it's, it, it is, you could think of it as like a different vibration in effect. Aren't lights at different frequencies? Frequency, maybe that's the right word, not vibration. <laughs> Sound is vibration, light is frequency, thanks time. <laughs> um, my science probably isn't a up to, up to far. Um, so this is the, this, the, um, you, you might've seen this picture, this drawing before, it's the Buddha of the five families. And what this picture is, you can come and I'll leave it up here if you want to have a look afterwards, is it is the sphere of everything, emptiness, and the five lights shining within that hole in their different color. And then with the, the Buddha family represented in, in each. 
So it's, it's a nice thing to visualize in that I like the circle as well. So um, let me just go back to this. We start with mirror-like wisdom. And it can be hard for us to understand what mirror-like wisdom looks like. So today we'll just touch on them briefly because there's actually no point in us debating what the wisdoms are because we have, we actually, they all arise spontaneously when we are able to remove our impurities. But it's, it is good to know what we're talking about so that we've got some path that we know we, we're aiming towards and it can be quite encouraging. So when we are able to um, dissolve our anger, mirror-like wisdom is um, much like, and this is why the, the water is used because water reflects um, water is a reflective surface, but often with mirror-like wisdom, people say it's it's we mirror each other, which part of that is true. But actually, mirror-like wisdom is the ability to look at everything going on as it's reflected in a mirror. And when something's reflected in a mirror, you know that it's not real. You know it's not concrete, but it's still displaying. And, and that's the wisdom that we're hoping to understand is that everything that we see in our world around us is a display, but it isn't real in the sense of being separate entities that have got um, complete you know, um, sovereignty. It's just a display of everything in that mirror. And anger is a very good one. It's a, you know, to, to work with, because even if I think I shared this with the group before, but if we look at, for instance, even what's going on with, with the environment and climate and all the terrible things that's happening around us in the world, um, it can feel quite overwhelming. And it can lead to some anger within us. But when we are able to set that anger aside, we can rather look at everything going on around us as just a reflection in the mirror doesn't mean it's not happening on a relative level, but at the same time, we don't have to be so attached to it that the reaction, our reaction, comes of that of anger. We can't just observe as it arises in the, in the mirror. Whether that's, whether that's in the form of resistance, what's your resistance, and not the flow. You know, if, you, if you're finding that you're resisting, it's a subtle, subtle form of anger. Or it can be the anger, it can be uh, fear of survival. You know, it's, it's, it shows, the reflection from the mirror shows itself in different, different energies, in different forms. Yeah. And in this book, which is um, about the, the borders, um, which is the, the process when you, well, there's, lot, there's several borders, but in particular when you, um, die, the bodies after death. Um, Francesca Fremantle, and she discusses the five Buddha families and, and the five wisdoms in a lot of detail. So if you are interested, it would be a good book to, to have and to read. But she says that there's no place outside the mirror. So once we've got that mirror-like wisdom, this kind of knowing perceives everything with precision and clarity. It does not judge or compare. It does not feel attachment or aversion. It is like watching a play. And she says that they call it a magic mirror. It's, um, 
there's this there is this magical quality to it. And mirror knowledge is the understanding of simultaneous emptiness and appearance. And um, she says, in Buddhism, this is known as relative or conventional truth, the fact that everything is empty, but it also has an appearance. We're living in the relative world. And as long as we remain under its power, in other words, as long as we are right here, right now, embodied in this relative world, we must respect its level of reality and obey its laws, or we shall cause harm to ourselves and other. So knowing that, but the knowing that things are not ultimately real, we can take part in it without being taken in by it. And this is, this is what, um, this is what mirror-like wisdom is about. And she says that um, it's the Vajra family, another name for, um, yeah, there's a Vajra or Thunderbolt. And it has, even within the Vajra, we have five spokes on, on either end, so four, four around and one in the middle. And that is actually that picture I showed you. It's that same display of the five families. So within every wisdom contains all the other wisdoms as well. We're not, we're not trying to divide these things into separate parts. They're all contained um, within, within itself. So, and she says, just like water um, can have a lot of clarity and stability, water can also, in its two extreme forms, it can become like ice, and ice is very hard and cutting, or it can be boiled and become boiling hot water and steam, which is also very, very harmful to us. And she said that's where, when we talk about the different hell realms, we get the hell realms of hot and cold. It's actually the water is either the ice or the boiling. And that's because hell comes from our state of mind of anger and aversion. So it's quite interesting. So once we have now explored that mirror-like wisdom, we look at the poisons relating to pride. And this is the earth element. And for this one, it's, it's, a, it's like a yellow um, golden color. And she says that if we look at all around the world, the color gold, gold <laughs> is, has the symbol of abundance. And the earth is, is that symbol for us of abundance. But where we've got pride, we cling onto that abundance. We want that abundance, whether it's material abundance, intellectual abundance, whatever it is, we hold onto it for ourselves with the wisdom of sameness or equalizing wisdom. We know that the abundance belongs to everybody. All beings have got this um, awakened nature and therefore we actually are able to be extremely generous because we don't try and cling onto, onto things um, for ourselves. So the, the symbol, the um, Tringa Rinpoche says that the um, symbol for the earth element is to think of a massive tree that has fallen over and starts to decay. And that tree can be home for little animals who burrow under it. It can be, it can provide food for many creatures and an environment for even mushrooms and fungi. And it's, it's that feeling of how that is how the earth provides. It's this constant cycle of 
of um, abundance, but in a general in the, in the way of generosity. It's not holding on to it for ourselves. So sameness is not saying that we're not denying that there's differences or polarities, but we're saying that all of us, even if we're in different forms, different species, for instance, have still got that same innate true nature of um, awareness. Then we move on to the poison of um, attachment or desire. And this is easy for us all to understand and relate to. And this is the fire element. And the fire element is all about passion. It's about um, that love. But we, trans we, in our unenlightened ways, we put that into craving. So we want to possess. We want to own the object of our um, object of our desire, as opposed to just have a an openness around it. So all discriminating or all discerning wisdom is saying that we are able to observe all the characteristics. We are able to investigate and observe and love, but we don't have to cling or own or possess. And. Um, just wanted to read you something. One of the most important lessons that I've learned recently is seeing my old mom, and she's now in October turning 97. Oh. And we've had a very, very close relationship. And I see her now, a healthy woman, a robust, healthy woman, talk, talking, able to talk about the balance and, and, and Buddhism and all of that. And She's losing it because she's on so many pills. What does she take? She takes pills for quality of life. Or is she going to sit in suffering all the time? Okay? So these pills are so hectic that they're actually dampening out the mind. So, in fact, while we can, I promise you I'm watching it in someone that is beloved to me. Do everything you can with your mind now while you've got the ability. <laughs> while you've got I'm, I'm not being funny because attachment has become so clear to me because of this most important, wonderful mother human being, a friend, mother, everything. And that loving we've been taught, there's a bonding. The bonding you didn't know is Heavy attachment. And I don't know how to love without bonding. Do you understand that? It's a difficult thing. So I'm watching myself mourning while letting go, while she's alive and not knowing whether I'm living the now or the future. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's a toughie. I think it's a big toughie that. So it's become so, so valid that clinging and attachment. Yeah. It's such a beautiful, beautiful example of where one can use no life wisdom, no water wisdom. It's because when we struggle to detach from those that we love, yes. it's speaking to our relationship with death. With death. Death, yes. Death. death. Our relationship oh, death. would seem to be yes. our relationship with nothingness. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's going to, she's teaching me how to die properly, and I'm trying to 
be the reflection of how to how to facilitate how with her with her love and not her bewilderment mm. because the mind's going here. Yeah? Mm. So she's not gaga by any means. I'm just saying the attachment comes into the habitual thing that comes comes is attachment. And the no. attachment is the expectation of her to interact the way you've known her to interact with you. Exactly. 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 It's a it's a biggie. Yeah, this it's is not biggie. easy stuff. You know, we skimming over these things quickly and talking about them very high level, but you know, it's very difficult. Mm. Um, and it all relates back to our belief in a separate self. So if in this this prayer, the heart treasure prayer, he says we even with that attachment, when we can recognize that there's no self, we are able to go back into that voidness of, and that awareness and recognize there's no self. It helps us to release yes. some of that attachment yes. because there is no longer an I yes. that can attach yes. or an I that can get angry. So it always comes back to that I, that's that ego. Uh, but this is what these disturbing emotions do, and they just build up that sense of I. So when we start to remove that, we start to lose our sense of I a little bit. And it's, you know, they talk about this process of ego death. You start to lose parts of yourself that you really used to cling to so dearly and start to think, who am I? You know, what am I? Um, it's, I think, In quite fact, a... Am I? Am I? Am. <laughs> 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 so, <who>, me? <laughs> exactly. But we we got. I'm just going to quickly wrap up with the, explaining the last two because we are running short on time. But um, so he says exactly that. First, the awakened mind perceives the whole of existence within the great mirror as simultaneous emptiness and appearance. Then it experiences the essential same taste of all existence. But now it looks in detail at the different distinct natures of each individual object and living being. On the level of ordinary life, this, this knowledge or wisdom makes it possible to distinguish one thing from another and to consider each in its own right. So we can see everything as this great play in the mirror. We are re able to recognize the sameness, but then we're also able to dive in deep, investigate, and to discern each individual quality from, from another. And on a simpler, on another, another level is, if you happen to find, find comfort, as I do, in practicing Medicine Buddha, and there are such a display of practices, you will find the mirror-like wisdom and the sameness and the depth of all other practices within the one as well. So you don't have to go onto lots and lots and lots of variations in order to think that you're getting different things. You can penetrate the one and find the sameness in all and that depth in all the practices. Yeah, exactly. So the next element is um, the poison is jealousy. It's the all-accomplishing wisdom. And this, this is the air, the air element. And... Um, the air element is connected to our 
mental activity. It's that swiftness of thinking. It's our ability to also take action in a very quick way. If you think of the wind, it's got this speediness. It's got this ability to um, to get us to where we need to be and and to really take to take action. But um, unfortunately, we so we get so caught up in that in that process of trying trying to be there that we actually get lost in this process of like ambition and mm. and therefore in that whole thing of being ambitious we, this is how this whole thing around jealousy um arises and um that can even be in spiritual practice because we're so busy trying to reach enlightenment or trying to advance ourselves, me 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 that we become what is called spiritual materialists. So we try to collect. We go, I'm so blessed. I got to see this teacher. I got this empowerment. Um, I got this honor bestowed onto me. But all we're actually doing is trying to compare ourselves to, to others in a race. And it's again reinforcing that sense of an I. So all accomplishing knowledge is about the actual functioning of the awakened state and putting it into action. So it's allowing that swiftness of the energy, like the wind, to flow through you and to go wherever it needs to go. That is the action of, of that Buddha. It's able to be wherever and to take action. And often, I think in our, in our world, we mental, mental activity doesn't necessarily connect to action. We think about things a lot, but we don't do it. <laughs> and... Um, this is different. This is, is it's not thinking. It's just doing. It's allowing the action to come through. And then the last one, which is the beginning and the end, the space element. So from where everything comes from that void and to where everything returns is um, the absolute wisdom, which the poison is all the delusion and confusion and ignorance, which is obviously very um, huge for us. But um, as, we, as we also go on this path, we, we can start to peel back those levels of, of delusion. So even though it's easy to say somebody else is completely, completely ignorant, you know, maybe you've got a little bit of understanding, but compared to an awakened being, it's still like just a, a grain of sand. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nothing. So our, our belief, our ignorance is around our belief in a separate self, our belief in seeing what we see as real and concrete. And that's what's so hard to start peeling away and seeing everything in its illusory nature. And in this book, she says, I found it quite interesting, is that sometimes um, even spiritual people can become um, caught up in images, uh, in uh, visualizations and um, uh, visions. And even the God realm, the, you know, the realm where, the, where these beings reside can be caught up in this because they become caught up in the vision. And um, she, he, she says, that is living in a beautiful state of delusion. So delusion <laughs> can have that quality to it. She says, you may even start going into trances and seeing visions which you then must think you must really have a superior self yeah. but actually um you know that's that's no different to being a person on our ordinary plane who's very passive and has got a feeling of complacency and laziness all that sense of ignorance is bliss 
But, but the important thing to say, I know, Lindy, you always use this analogy, is when we're talking about the five wisdoms and the poisons, is it's like a coin. We're talking the energy of the wisdom and the poison is the same energy. It's the same facet of energy. So it's actually quite a beautiful thing to recognize. So the energy of um, anger is the same energy as mirror-like wisdom. It's just that our filter has made it disturbed as opposed to express in its wisdom form. So in, in and of themselves, emotions are not the problem. It's just our attachment to to the emotion that gives it that, that negative or, or difficult or beautifully difficult connotation. Um, okay, so that's just, that's an overview. And then I think next time we can go more into the, how do we actually work with all of this? You know, it's all very well talking about theory, um, but how, what is the antidote? How, how do the practices work energetically you know, Lindy, um, um, you've got a lot of wisdom to share with using the medicine Buddha practice, but all the different practices we do, how does that actually help us? And how can we get unstuck and undo all these knots? So, yeah, I don't know if there's any other questions, but... I just want to that the, the whole symbol and the transformative nature of, of it is, is, for me, symbolizes that transformation into a wisdom state. Yeah. Wisdom. yeah. When we have the om ah hum, you have the om and then you have the ah for the speech and the hum in the heart, okay? The om is that actually is that mm, transcendental receptacle if there is not a sieve, our sieve, what did you call it? Template. A template, <laughs> yes. A template obstructing that clarity of wisdom coming in. So omniscience, or the wisdom of omniscience, or whatever, is is in the arm, in the in in, the, in that arm. Okay, the thousand petaled lotus. That's part of the all-seeing wisdom. Okay, that is the arm. That that is part of um, the fifth, the fifth what's space, mm, ether space. Yeah, and then you come into 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 the intermediary, the the bridge. That was spoken about yeah. in the R, the red light. Okay, and then the the Hong is the blue light, and Medicine Buddha is visualized in bloom. Uh, bloom. <laughs> <laughs> and then actually, uh, the 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 Buddha, the top Buddha of that is also visualized in blue too. Yeah, <laughs> but even in the Hong symbol, if you look at the the Hong symbol, each little symbol within that symbol actually symbolizes the five elements so the hung yes. itself has got all the five elements mm. all the five wisdoms within five it. elements five wisdoms five dayani buddhas same same yeah same. same as a prayer the one is the same same yeah how we express it in our story language and how we vomit it out it's our stuff <laughs> exactly yeah yes exactly yeah. Regurgitate rather than vomit. <laughs> I can't hear. Regurgitate rather than vomit. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dean? So, Pitya, it's not I'm interested in the second one in particular, but do you mind recapping for me quickly the five 
Everything on the earth is the same. That's the easy way to remember it. Um, third one is the desire, attachment, craving, which is the fire element and the wisdom is the, dis the discerning or discriminating wisdom. Fourth one is jealousy, which is the air element and it's the all-pervasive, swift-accomplishing wisdom. And then the fifth one is the delusion, confusion, ignorance, space element and absolute wisdom. Thank you so much. And if I may ask a quick, quick follow-up question. You know, one of the things you said right near the end about emotions, I found very interesting and I think it maybe could be quite useful to me personally. You're talking about the coins, yeah. the emotions. Um, so emotions in and of themselves are not the problem. And um, uh, could I ask you to elaborate at this time a little bit on I don't know, it's a little, in myself recently I've started to notice, so sometimes I get a bit of anxiety and then I, I feel really bad about the anxiety I feel, something I've just been noticing personally in myself. And recently I started to just try to experience the anxiety, I don't know, I had this experience where I tried to feel the anxiety more and what was it like, and then I felt like it's actually not that bad. So then I sort of had the thought that I was, it was more like I was really hating this anxiety, the anxiety in itself and feel like it was a problem, but well, it wasn't a little judgment of the anxiety yeah. and hate of the anxiety. That's sort of where I'm coming through from in a way, but uh, yeah, my question is, I don't know, you understand the question? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. I think it's, it's, um, it's, so what they say is that it's not the energy of that emotion or, or that anxiety or, or frustration in itself that's the problem. Um, and, and actually, um, Patra Rinpoche says you, you can use that, the, like for instance, look at hatred. The energy of hatred is not a problem, but the object of your hatred should be hatred itself. <laughs> so it's, not, it's because we attach to our emotions as something bad. So we, if an emotion arises, just like how a thought arises, instead of seeing it arise, <clears throat> not attaching to it and letting it pass, we do the opposite. We judge it and label it. So we, we notice, for instance, anxiety arising within ourselves, and we go, oh no, you know, um, I thought I was over this. This is not good. This is going to cause, you know, our physical uh, ramifications and so forth. So it's, it's, it's not the perception of it. It's our reaction to the perception. And that's why he, he, they teach is when a disturbing emotion arises, is to just like a thought in meditation, watch it arise, you can acknowledge it, but then you let it pass, pass you by. And um, you don't need to judge it, label it. You don't even really need to go into it in a lot of detail, unless really understanding will help you to um, let it go and then to recognize it again the next time. So, yeah. It's, it's an, emotion is an energy and our thoughts are also energy. So it's anything that arises, 
the perception is not the problem, it's the reaction. So it's, it's just trying to observe that. And, and that's why with all of the practice that we're doing, mindfulness and awareness is always that very, very first step. Because if we're going about our days completely unaware and unmindful, we don't even notice the arising of the emotion. Therefore, we react to it, we attach to it. And what we do is we create that karmic imprint. And this is how we just, you know, and, and, so, and so what the key of it is, is exactly what, what, what Mickey said, is the, re the recognition, the um, letting go, and allowing. <coughs> so it's the recognizing, and if you're recognizing it, is the doing of it. So you don't have to decide what to do. The recognizing has the energy of change within within it automatically. So the, the, the teachers always talk about recognition is huge for us to step step into um, um, a change of what what that is. And the change <coughs> then dissipates or dissolves. It, 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 that's what it does, and to allow and let be. Yeah. That's, that's, that's recognize, allow, let be. And that's why the strong emotions actually are great in a way, because it's signposts for us. Um, you're going along and, and an emotion comes up. It's, 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 it, it helps you to remember to be aware <laughs> if you're committed to the practice. And the teachers always say it's not about maintaining awareness when we're on the path for hours on end. It's about short moments, many times. So the more times we can remember to be aware during the day, hundred times, if you can remember to be aware, that helps to build up your awareness. And that's why whenever these emotions come up, you know, it's hard not to beat yourself up for it, <laughs> but it's actually to rather say, here's a gift, because I managed to catch myself with awareness and now let it go. So that whole self-judgment thing is, <laughs> yeah, is, um, is interesting. But I think in a way we can look at these emotions that come up as as opportunities <laughs> for the, the opportunity yeah. and the knowledge that's so close by on the other side of the coin yeah. is is the enlightened quality of that same feeling. So, in other words, that's your focus. Your focus can go, oh yes, I, re I recognize this. Allow it be, and in fact, recognize that it's now the other side of the of the coin. Mirror like wisdom. What am I seeing? What am I? You know, what am I not seeing? What is? Yeah. Awesome. So it sounds like sounds a little bit to me like they're even so the emotions are first of all not the problem and also maybe even necessary for the wisdom. Well, um, yes, yeah, it could be necessary for the wisdom. Yeah, yeah, they're there, they're there regardless. So we've got that's what we've got to work with. You know, it's that image of the lotus seed and the lotus flower. The lotus flower grows through the mud. And in all spiritual traditions, that lotus flower is that symbol because we have to get through the mud of all of our stuff in order for that wisdom to bloom. And um, that's exactly what we're doing. We are diving headfirst into, into our stuff and in order to get through it. We're not avoiding because, as they say, that's just a form of delusion, actually, to say, I'm a spiritual person. I'm above and beyond emotion. I'm just going to put them all over there 
and just lock myself in a room and be calm all the time, that's actually that's actually the poison or of delusion and confusion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to talk a little more, no, but it is quite late. Should we should we leave the visualization now? Oh, it's the time. It is a bit late. No. It's ten past twelve. I know what. Anyone who wants to leave, then leave, or get up and have a puddle or whatever you want to do, and then we'll come back and I'll do a visualization for whoever's left over. Then you, we don't know how long it'll take. It won't take more than half an hour. another episode of the wisdom toolbox podcast i hope you enjoyed it or found something beneficial within the episode to aid you on your journey i would love to hear from you please follow along on social media and visit the wisdomtoolbox.com website for more resources and sign up for our monthly newsletter and offering thanks for stopping by